Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective. On this Thoughtful Thursday episode, we're going to be talking about political narratives and special interest influence on elections. I think that it's going to be an interesting conversation with a former candidate in Tim Archer. He ran for the mayor of the city of Spokane, but he was also a member of a special interest and sees how they work. So we're going to talk about those things after some inspiration. Our inspiration today is talking about building up goodwill. When we think of best business practices, what first comes to mind probably aren't qualities like kindness and generosity. But according to entrepreneur James Ree, they should. In Ree's experience as CEO at a company on the brink of financial ruin, prioritizing what he calls goodwill, a culture of kindness, and a a spirit of giving, saved the company and led to its flourishing. Putting these qualities central gave people the hope and motivation they needed to unify innovate, and problem-solve. Re explains that goodwill is a real asset that can compound and be amplified. In daily life, too, it's easy to think of qualities like kindness as vague and intangible afterthoughts to our other priorities. But as the Apostle Paul taught, such qualities matter most of all. Writing to new believers, Paul emphasized that the purpose of believers' lives is transformation through the Spirit into mature members of the body of Christ. To that end, every word and every action has value only if it builds up and benefits others. Transformation in Jesus can only happen through daily prioritizing kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. When the Holy Spirit draws us to other believers in Christ, we grow and mature as we learn from one another. Heavenly Father, teach us daily what truly matters, the love poured out through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, such as the inspiration, we need to seek wisdom instead of political narratives. And oftentimes, like in that institution of the corporation that the inspiration talked about, if you have goodwill in the community, if you care about the community, not just for profit, but because you care about the community and service the community in your business and maybe otherwise, the community will in kind see value in your business or industry. And we have political narratives that are kind of taking that over when we're talking about public service instead of, well, I guess public service oftentimes, especially during political campaigns, becomes political narratives instead of public service. So we've got Tim Archer in the studio with us today. Uh, He is formerly of the Firefighters Union, and I know that we just had an election that came up and candidates that, uh, you know, don't really match my values. I think that they're more radical than even people of the opposing party's values are supported by the firefighters union. But we see that in other places too, where the community isn't really represented, but the money is getting spent in elections and also forming political narratives. I'm going to use this example quickly. The schools say we need the levy or the kids are going to lose teachers and music class. And they always go after that. You've got to vote for more money for schools for the kids' sake. Well, tough problem is is that they get more and more money all the time. They never want to cut administration. They never want to cut waste in other places. They never want to downscale the fanciness of administrative buildings. 
but they're going to cut the kids. And so it seems like the political narrative is the lie that forces people to tax themselves more. So jumping into the conversation is Tim Archer. Hey, thanks, Tim. Great to see you again. And, and I thought it was really interesting when you asked me to come on to talk about um, political narratives. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then you got the ambush planned that I welcome. Well, yeah. was it, I wasn't, I just, I think your perspective on this is something that not enough people understand or hear. Yeah. And, and both parties do it. This is, this is politics, basically 101. After you've run for office, you see, oh, I know there's a public disclosure commission. I can look at where politicians get their money. And then you see that the community that is the one that's supposed to elect them isn't where their money's coming from. Oh boy. I, I learned what you guys learned a few years back. Yeah. And um, it's kind of interesting in the way of political narratives. And I heard, I can't remember the article, but they were saying that a storyteller is more influential than a statistician. A storyteller is more powerful politically than a statistician. And another article I read I thought was interesting that most political narratives, they fall into the main archetypes that books, movies, and plays fall in. And they say you can almost line them all up with either a quest, a voyage in return, a rebirth, a comedy and tragedy, a rags to riches, or an overcoming the monster. And like you said with the... um schools, they pick the worst thing that will tug on the heartstrings. You know, with firefighters, the budget is, boy, if the fire department gets cut, puppies and children will die tomorrow. Right. And, you know, what are you going to say to that? And it's really tough because, and I remember when I became union president, I sat down with the fire chief and um, I was the first conservative guy to hold that position. And I said, hey, chief, you know, um, I'm not a fan of them, anyone who's listened to me. And He's really good at mandates, too. I have to credit him with that. If I said something positive about him, he is really good. He's, he's good at ruling with an iron fist. He, he does, and he's also good at social justice, social justice and, and um, mandates. So and we're spending are, lots of money in those places when we could have used that money for firefighter contracts. Absolutely, and we, we're spending plenty of money on firefighter contracts. But when I sat down with him, I said, hey, Chief, I understand your stewardship exercise is to produce the best fire department you can with the least amount of money. I can completely respect that. And he goes, I know, and your job is to ask for more money for less work. And given our history, I can see why he said that. But I said, no, my job is to offer better work before we ask for more money. So merit-based compensation and you look at boy speaking of narratives i actually got boy i had a line of people wanting to speak against me at a state firefighters convention because i I spoke against their diversity plan to push and implement it is basically a rebranding of of affirmative action in my mind and i talked about any anytime we deviate from merit we're in big trouble well in affirmative action that basically that was ruled unconstitutional because it was racist we weren't looking at the skills of the individual we were picking and choosing based upon uh, immutable characteristics you know and of course now they've added gender and other things and they'll just keep adding uh, to this criteria and then it becomes a bureaucratic mess trying to hire a workforce based upon things that have nothing to do with what you need in the workforce correct so we need to affirmative action like you said it didn't work so they needed to change the narrative So the narrative I heard, like in the case of the State Council of Firefighters, gosh, we need these certain skill sets for, you know, say after a medical call or something, people who are nurturing, people who are softer, people who can understand this, that, and the other. And that's fine. But, you know, like I've always said, 
the citizens of Spokane's tax dollars weren't paying me to become the best Tim I could be and get a master's degree and figure out how I really felt about my dad and all that stuff. All they cared is that firefighters can kick in the door, put out the fire, and save their family. And the kitties. And the the dogs. Oh, boy. And you got those stickers on your house. Yep. Don't forget my dogs. They are, but is a sticker 20 years old? Because we see those, too. And (laughs) then someone moved. They didn't take their sticker. Anyways. But, you know. Well, and and is a firefighter going to risk his life based upon a sticker? I sure hope not. I hope not. And that, you know, because like you said, the people have moved. It's a rental house. They don't have any pets. Because the the landlord now has a rule against pets, but the people didn't scrape the sticker off. So if a fire does Mm -hmm. occur... I really hope a firefighter waits for a bark or something. Well, to, it, it is. And, and the, the risk assessment boils down to, to oversimplify. They say risk a lot to save a lot. And it's that simple. But um, fun fact is in 20 years of firefighting, I never saved a white cat. I saved a lot of gray cats and brown cats. The whole, their fur really holds the smoke, so it's kind of... They're, they always come out of the fires turning gray. <laughs> That's right? right. You never walk out of the fire with a, um, with a white cat. But actually, we do save a lot of pets. Birds, fish, you name it. So it's a... You know, when a family's losing their home, it's a real morale boost. I tell you, if you can get in there and if you can save a few pets, find their purse, their car keys, stuff Please like that. Please don't save my fish. Yeah, fish. <laughs> if you come at running out of my house holding my fish out of water, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, so with the, fi- with the fish, we're totally on board with you not trying to save the fish. In fact, if the floor's on fire, kick the fish tank, right? Okay. So, you know, yeah, th- that's kind of where we're at with it. Uh, I, I don't know how salt water works. So, those for the folks out there with salt water tanks, I think your salt water might be more valuable for putting out the fire. Uh, but I, I think that looking at the firefighter's role, and mm-hmm. you're telling us that you have maybe a, a, a fire chief and, and he's not making this up. This is coming from right. the international brotherhood of firefighters, or mm-hmm. this is coming from federal bureaucracies or state bureaucracies that want to see implementation of social workers mm-hmm. putting out fires. That's right. And the fire chief hung off a of station one, a few years back, quite a few years back. Now he was ahead of his time. He hung a rainbow flag off of fire station one and the guys took it down pretty quick. And the problem with that is, Okay, what about the guy that wants to hang a swastika off the station? What about once you open it up? Now, it's really interesting. I got to pause right here Mm -hmm. because you brought up something that infuriates me about embassies. Uh, our very own city of Spokane, City Hall. Hall. And Mm -hmm. I've talked about it on this show before. I was Mm -hmm. like, every Pride Month, they raise the flag up Mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, Pride Flag. Well, for one, I don't think the Pride Flag and what that movement has done represents the people necessarily in the community that they're acting like they represent Mm -hmm. for one. Another, when you look at flag etiquette Mm -hmm. and how governments are supposed to fly flags, municipal, state, federal, there is etiquette that they're supposed Mm -hmm. to follow. And so if you had foreign dignitaries that came in, you'd have the U S flag with the Washington flag just below it, I believe. And then you would have the foreign dignitaries flag just below that. Mm -hmm. But that's the only flags that should be flown by governments is other governance when they visit. And so like you said, if they're going to put a flag up of a social movement, Mm -hmm. they've got to put up, you know, other other the Christian flag or right. other things, yeah, because these become social movements which can and, be and, considered and I, religions, right? And I'm being hyperbolic. I'm not comparing that you, you know the um, the pride flag to 
a, a Nazi flag. But my point being is, where do you draw the line well, as that, far as free speech goes? But and, you're not being hyperbolic. We did. You know, Hitler almost got the Nobel Peace Prize. That's right. We he did. did. And in New York, there was a, a Nazi movement where I, I, it's quite a police deal for them to hold order. Um, the, the problem is, personally, I don't think that people wearing blue, you know, and as firefighters, we didn't weren't law enforcers, but I don't think representatives of the government should exclude certain folks. Like when I took over the union, um, they were members of Better Progress Spokane. It's an LGBTQ um, activist organization in Spokane. Yeah. And I, I fought that hard. We got out of it after a year and I said, this is perfectly fine so long as Local 29 can join the NRA also. Because if we're going to do that, what you're doing is you're excluding a portion of our membership. Now, back to governments, you know, you have the Hatch Act for service members. You know, as in the Army, I couldn't wear my uniform to a political event. I'm speaking on behalf of the United States Army. No one would believe that, but, but it conveys a message it's not allowed. On the same note, the fire chief, the mayor, um, L- the LGBTQ movement really... You know, unfortunately, I absolutely support their civil rights in so much as they don't infringe on parental rights and things that infringe on other people's liberties. Right. Um, but well, and in going there, we have to realize that you've left some people out because it's not just LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. It's the LGBTQIA plus 2S. Mm-hmm. And I think now with that movement where they've gone is it also includes uh, jihad in the Middle East mm-hmm. because they want to support, uh, you know, the wholesale uh, killing of, of Jews. So, you know, we've seen that. We saw that with the BLM got right, really involved with that. Right. We don't want taxpayer dollars. Sponsoring. I think, sponsoring, so, using, becoming memberships of, because these memberships cost money. So then we're using tax dollars to help advocate a movement and it's going in the wrong direction. It's funding political narratives. And I know that you want to talk more about political narratives. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do that right after we take a quick break. So, folks, again, don't go anywhere. We've got Tim Archer, former mayoral candidate and uh, former president of the Local 29 Union. We're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. We are in the Thanksgiving season. And here at the Right Spokane Perspective, we want to thank you, the listeners, for listening. And we want to thank those listeners that have help support the show, keep the show on the air by sending those donations to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, P.O. Box 7620-99207, or who've gone to the website and donated. They've kept us on the air. We've just finished up pretty much a, a campaign season where we've provided those candidate interviews to you, the listener, And we want to appreciate those listeners out there who have used those interviews to help inform their family, friends, and neighbors on who the candidates are. So in this thankful season, when we get together with our family, we want to thank them again for being a part of our lives. And we want to thank you, the listeners, for being a part of ours. Happy Thanksgiving. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this Thursday episode. You know, I'm thankful that you're willing to come in on this episode and talk because, uh, yeah, I think you have this experience looking at politics and being the president of the local 29 union and, and seeing these political narratives that uh, I think your, your fellow firefighters didn't really appreciate how far uh, their political donations have gone in pushing narratives they don't agree with. Like the instance before we went off into the break of the, the fire chief or whoever it was uh, yeah. putting up the, the, a political activist movement flag, which just happens yeah. to be the rainbow flag uh, over the firehouse. Sure, w- the- which is crazy because in, in that case, in you know, um, unions and 
fire chiefs rarely get along. You know, the, the, that's administration. But this is a case where the, the chief's pushing that. And, and like I said, the problem with that is then on his side, you know, the um, as opposed to a labor organization, we see with the LGBTQ movement almost becoming a state-sponsored, not almost, a, a state-sponsored religion. You go to a community college or university, there's an LGBTQ office, but there's not one for an imam or a rabbi or, 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 or a Christian pastor or anything like that. And so we have them pushing a religion or thought thing from their position of authority, wearing a uniform, which is really, you know, frightening when your government's doing that. So back to the union. It's not just, so it's a movement, but it's also exclusionary because it's only the people that are in that category. Correct. So you have an office to represent, you know, whatever. And as far as I can tell, the only people they won't represent Mm -hmm. are heterosexual white males, mm-hmm. people that haven't served in the military. What else is there? Well, Tim, I'll tell you. According to, so, because, you know, I, I represented a lot of folks, you know, with the city during disciplines and whatnot. So according to city policy, last I checked, the only person who's not in a protected class is a, um, is a white man under the age of 45. Because they're covered once they're 45 by ageism. Oh, so, okay. So literally, that's it. So the majority of the the city workers are that in a are, are working currently in our fire department, our police department, our roads department, mm-hmm. the things that we care about that our local government does the most, the things that we pay the most for, the wage earners in our city, in our county, are not the ones protected by... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, it is kind of interesting. Or just that there's so many protected classes now that the unprotected class is now the minority. Um, but but to your question about maybe about narratives and union culture, um, what you know, of course, I was very disappointed to see the union um, endorse Lisa Brown and Betsy Wilkerson. And the only explanation I have is, you know, working with those folks for 20 years is I would say a majority, not a huge majority, is just money driven. And it tends to be that those um, council legislators, those mayors and everything are more friendly to larger contracts. Now, with that said, I understand when someone says vote your paycheck, which is a common labor narrative. I, I look down on that because that's, that's your highest value. That's, your, that's, that's the sum of your being. And, and then the pushback to that would be that, well, that determines the neighborhood I raise my children in and the school they go to. So I can understand that, that type of it. But it's definitely a selfish not communicate, not community oriented, or out for the better betterment of your fellow man or your community, or fellow fireman. There was contract negotiations that said, "Okay, well, fiscally, there's no possible way we can, you know, get these contracts done without we're either going to have to lay off, mm-hmm. we're going to have to lay off some people, or we're going to not get our raise." And the union membership voted to basically stand there. Probably some of them mm-hmm. were the ones that got the cut, and they voted to right. cut the the new guys that came on staff that were trained firefighters that they needed in their firehouses. Right. And they voted to, to cut them for more money because we've fed. I, I think it's a culture that we've created, especially not just in unions, but especially in government unions. I, I've been told of times where, Public service was public service, mm-hmm. and not all public employees made more money than the private sector mm-hmm. uh, counterparts. Correct. Now, pretty much, government employment Make- always pays more, mm-hmm. has more benefits, 
And it's not like most government employees are struggling to pay the bills mm, where, where the people that are paying for the supposed public service mm. are. Correct. You're, you're absolutely right. And arguably, you know, you hear some folks that say, well, first a responder should be paid as much as a professional athlete. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you say, hey, you have young volunteers who are willing to work you under the table. So there's everything in between. And that's where you count on, you know, in our representative form of city government, them to make that decision as far as how much, what level they're willing to invest in. Now, where it gets, um, when we talk about political narratives and spinning something in a certain way, um, so if we say, well, if we cut the budget, we'll lose firefighters and puppies and children will die tomorrow. Okay, Tim, you can't do that. That's a rotten, rotten thing to do. You vote but, for that, you might have to sleep it in the doghouse because our dog's not going to live, honey. It, and it, that's just going to be the argument at the it, kitchen table. It is. Now, I heard a representative of the International Association of Firefighters tell me one time, and this was years ago with the Spokane Fire Department holding the line on, on there, there was a city budget crisis, and they, might, they actually ended up having to lay people off. And he said to, to the union leadership here, he said, do you think... Some of you could give up a couple hundred bucks a month so a few of you could continue getting their full paycheck. And, and they did not do that. So, and it's, well, that's the culture that we've driven. Correct. Is that the union isn't supposed to get a fair contract. The union is supposed to get us the maximum amount of money possible. Mm -hmm. So now firefighters actually are the best paid people in municipal government, really, except for some administrators. Absolutely. Cops and firemen, and, and especially in Washington State, the union jobs, they're in the Depending on which department you look at, they're in the top five, top ten easily and top five percentile of the nation. That's why I shouldn't have gotten into politics first. I should have gotten into firefighting because starting political and putting out political fires does not pay anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Doing it on the street does. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, if, if people were reasonable, and mm -hmm. I think that's where unions, I think, had a place, you know, you don't want your employees that are, you know that are building your cars or whatever being abused i know we are just going through this where mm -hmm. you know there you look at these jobs where people that don't really have an education that could go make six figures now are demanding more than the six figures that they're making and they're going to quit making cars well what's the job that's going to pay them more than that if the United Auto Workers get the contracts they want, right? Right. You know, so so it's interesting philosophically. And like I said, I'm, you know, I'm. We have a an excellent fire department, as we should, because of how much the, how much they're paid. Right. Period. Yeah. So you should we perform do. at that level. They, and they because answer of that, a lot for the most part. Those guys do. They keep in shape. Do that. And, and now, arguably, some of them are overpaid. Some of them are underpaid. When going to that overall as a whole, like you said, we've gone so far above the median income. That's, that's a dangerous place to be for, for civil servants. Um, so we got to look at that. And I think that the way the politics and the political narratives mm -hmm. go is that if you don't elect this person, you're going to lose your firefighters. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most politicians that are running for office could really answer uh, to the voters, if, well, we cut all this, and well, that means you're... Homeowner's insurance goes up. I don't think people could answer for that in the political realm in reality. So that's why it shocks me that you see uh, the labor movement 
only backing the most radical candidates because they look at the candidate and they're like, hey, you're willing to spend money on social justice mm -hmm. and, and we'll, we'll print out flyers in our own union house. We'll print flyers uh, as a cost of government to push your radical ideology just as long as you just vote the way we need to and it's time for another contract. And that's kind of where it's gone. Right. That, that's right. And, and that's why I used to say good labor representation was me slugging it out with the chief. We'll figure out what's best. You know, the city's got X amount of dollars. We want this. They want that. We'll figure it out. Now, when it gets dirty is when you hire attorneys, like the police guild did for the last contract. The guild had a, um, an attorney for a lead negotiator. They hired the city, had a, a contracted lead negotiator, and go figure people getting paid by the hour, solve a contract. It takes four years. Now, um, <clears throat> now that wasn't that also a condition of exactly what you're talking about with the toxicity in governance because of wrong thinking in political narratives because some people are going to benefit because what happened was the political narrative was, oh, we saw that this last election cycle on the campaign flyers. Oh, I support the police. No, you don't. You and all your friends get together mm -hmm. with groups that want to defund the police. Mm -hmm. And of course, you voted for a budget because you got what you wanted out of it. And of course, in the budget funds the rest of government, which Tim, includes police and fire. Tim, so you these are narratives talking, are just... You're talking numbers, facts. I mean, really, it's boring. Really, really boring stuff. That's why, you know, like we when we started out, we we're saying a storyteller has more political influence than a statistician. You yeah. just listed some facts that aren't aren't necessary. What matters is we move it. We spend we can spend fifty thousand dollars a year on a homeless person with the city of Spokane because we're gonna put up a story of that one guy that did great and, and made it. But the reality is we spent 150000 per homeless person, and a lot of them just ended up doing lots more drugs and overdosing, and the firefighters had to go out and Narcan them. Yeah, yeah, they, they did on the tax dollars, which is just... Um, it, it's boy. disgusting, though. It's, and yeah. kind of... So on this is on the police side, and I had the police chief in here and talked to the sheriff about this, too. These narratives, we, we need to start thinking about political narratives as what they really are, and it's a lot shorter to say. Lies. Political narratives are lies. If they're not talking about the truth, if their storytelling is just a giant distraction from facts, then what they're trying to do is lead you down a path where they can control what you think through the lie that they're about to tell you. Because the, the truth of the matter is that when police arrest someone and they go to the jail and they're immediately released, and we have even our local newspaper now is using the terminology that the, the far left anti-police movement is using in community custody. Now, I know that you stood up mm -hmm. when it came to the masking and, the, and the, the vaccine thing. And so they talk about, you know, social distancing. We're changing the language. Social distancing, if you're distant, you're not social. Right. If, if you're in the community, you're not in custody. Right, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're assigning different words. We're, we're changing. An attorney friend of mine said lately, all these good ideas, they start out as a facility, a, um, oh boy, what do they call them? A resolution or a something, a whereas statement. Exactly. Where we're just saying this, then it's going to be a policy without fines or without anything. But anything the government is imposing, you always need to think police. Because if it's mandatory, if it's something you have to do, even though there's not a fine now, in the end, if the government wants you to do it, at some point, the police has to make you do it. And I think everything needs to be looked at through that lens.
because that's that's where you walk it out. If you don't do this, you will end up in jail. So, you, boy, you know, you know, Second Amendment stuff. It starts out the state government gets us to agree that certain rifles are dangerous. You need a little bit of training. Okay, well, now that you agree they're dangerous, we'll just take them away. Right. Yeah, well, there's some definitely roads that we've gone down that it's tough to turn around because right. they didn't create a cul-de-sac. There's a cliff at the end where your individual rights and liberties end. And and like you say, I mean, you know, whether it's firefighter pay or whether we fund more police, we see a, a city government that can fund artwork in the streets that have nothing to do with municipal government. If the people got a chance to vote on it, they'd all say no, but they're spending the money. Right. And you know what, if you don't pay your taxes, like you said, some guys with guns will come and remove you from the property that they're confiscating to get those taxes. Right. And then, um, so we'll call it, we'll call it public safety. We'll call it this, that the, the president's uh, motion to, for the 105 billion for national security, 13 billion goes to the border. You know, then you have 14 yeah. billion for Israel, then 61 billion for the Ukraine, but it's public, but it's, I'm sorry, it's for national security. And then we say public. And what's our national security interests in that? It's about yeah. the same percentage as the money that's actually going to protect our country, which is a, a small percentage of Correct. the amount that they're spending. Yep, about 10%. But the, the frightening part is our, they play upon our emotions continually. And I've got some buyer's remorse so over a couple of the things I supported on the fire department that weren't funded as good as they should have been. Not totally unfunded, but I felt like, and, you know, some of that, you know, I was convinced, you know, you know Ben Stucker was part of that, that it, it sort of made sense at the time. But looking back now that I'm more of an awake person, I realize, oh, my gosh, a lot of those are slippery slopes, that even the language of how it's funded, it, it was twisted. It was it was twisted by political narratives and promises that used words that turned out to be lies because they created definitions that are not currently understood as the words that they were using. Right. And uh, you know, I I know that you quite you uh, haven't quite been able to put out the fire that we've got in studio today. So I think we're going to have to have you back because we're out of time. So okay. I want to thank you again, Tim, for coming in again. This is Tim Archer uh, wanting to talk about you know the the truth outside of political narratives. So we're going to have him back. We'll be with you folks again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.